Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Meet them where they are. Set high expectations of this is where we'll get to, but I'll meet you where you are. So it's match and raise and match and lower. That starts with read the room, figure out what's needed, and go from there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 282. Today we're talking about how to help kids with self-regulation with Win Kinder. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Uh, I'm glad you're here as always. Glad to connect. You might hear my voice. I got a bit of a cold today recording this intro and outro, but it's okay. Getting through it. Like we took all the masks off and my mom came to visit and she gave me a cold, but it was okay. It was worth it for the nice visit. I love you, mom. <laughs> so this is going to be a great episode. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're brand new to the podcast or whether you've been listening for a while. I'm so happy to have you here. We're going to be talking about, you know, those big emotions. What do I do when my child's having big emotions? How do I help my child better manage their big emotions? 
So I'm going to be talking to Wynn Kinder. She's owner and creator of the Wellness Works in Schools, and she shares effective strategies on how to connect with our kids when they're having big emotions and how we can best help them learn emotional regulation. So this is a really fascinating episode. We talk about matching your child's emotions to make them feel felt and heard. Naming emotions, of course, can help kids to identify what they're feeling in introducing emotional regulation through storytelling. So it's really fascinating because a lot of the skills we talk about are all things that we learn and practice inside the Mindful Parenting membership. The group in the membership is like growing wildly. We have hundreds of people around the world in like every different time zone. It's an incredibly supportive group. And we take these lessons and we practice them and support them. And every month we have three live calls. So it's like kind of like a podcast with me, but we're talking to each other, which is really fun. We also do skills calls where we have these three big communication skills and we practice them. You know, we get into breakout sessions and practice the skills deliberately so you get to really master them and come back again and again. I love being able to offer all this free stuff through the podcast, but the people I do help the most are those who are in the membership. So if you are interested, you want to learn more about the Mindful Parenting membership, you're ready to just take it deeper and, you know, invest in this piece of your life and really mastering these and making your relationships really strong and getting all the benefits that you get from that. Go ahead and go to mindfulparentingcourse.com, get on the wait list, and I'll let you know when we open it again. And this is going to be such a cool episode. I'm so happy for you to dive in. So let's just do it. Join me at the table as I talk to Wynn Kinder. Wynn, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to talk to you. And I I want to talk, you teach, a, you taught mindfulness in schools for, for many, many years and and you teach kids about self-regulation. So I'm excited to dive into this because I know that parents are very excited about the idea of helping our kids regulate their emotions, right? But I want, before we dive into that, I'm a little curious, I'm curious about you and your own story with mindfulness. How did, how did you get turned on to the practice and, and what was going on in your life at that time? Um, well, we could go way back, but, um, I, I would say that growing up with a brother, a brother who had a way of challenging or pushing my buttons, um, we were very close in age. And so I think my parents were constantly looking for ways to um, manage um, the conflict that was between my brother and myself. And my mom found yoga back before yoga was cool, Um, when you just wore sweats to yoga. And that's, you know, it was in the basement of the YMCA, I think. Um, And that's a good 35, 40 years ago, probably 40 years ago. And then she went to a training with John Kabat-Zinn because she was also a teacher, a special ed teacher, and trying to deal with my brother and myself. Um, But I think she, she started our kind of quest for tools that would be helpful in our family, tools that then she, um, you know, 30 years ago was then bringing into her classroom. Um, and then I just kind of breezed along my first couple years, okay, my first 10 years of teaching, 
Um, I was teaching in a private school and I had small groups of kids and a very good kind of mental health support system within my classes or within my school. And then I jumped to a school that did not have those supports. And on the very first day, I called my mom and I said, oh, these are fifth graders who are in pain and I, I don't have the resources to deal with their pain. And she's like, you know, I've been doing mindfulness and yoga for years and years and years. You now are going to need it. I said, oh, out of necessity. <laughs> I jumped into mindful yoga classes that, that actually both my parents were teaching at the time um, to just survive my day. And after quite a few weeks of me finding these practices for myself and, and feeling like they were affecting um, my quality of life, but also my quality of teaching and interacting with students, um, I just said, oh, come into my classroom. Maybe, maybe you could, you guys, my parents mm -hmm. could help me and by helping my kids. And they started volunteering and they're like, this is really fun. Let's, we'll just do this in classrooms. And it was in about 2001. Um, and there weren't really other programs that were taking mindfulness into classrooms, especially in public schools. And so they um, started Wellness Works in Schools. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually helped them label that because I, we were kind of thinking that mindfulness in public schools, in urban schools, or in Lancaster City schools, um, that it would be a problem that mindfulness kind of had a potentially religious or spiritual kind of um, background, but they were teaching a non-religious version of it. Mm -hmm. And so we just figured wellness works. That seems like a nice name because it's a whole well-being kind of approach of strategies and skills. Smart. And started the, the program that I now um, continue. Um, but they started that in 2001. I was able to retire from classroom teaching in 2004. And ever since then have been full time living their legacy, essentially, um, and writing books and, and teaching courses and training and all of that. But a lot of it was from it was from necessity, and um, I'm very able to speak of those who aren't ready to dive into the mindfulness field. They're like, no, no, it's not active enough for me, or no, it's too quiet. I was that resistant, and it was out of necessity that I was just clamoring for something that I could um, incorporate into even the heated moments of my classroom life and my home life. Um, but that I knew I needed, I needed savings of practices and regulation strategies for myself. And so I've always just tried to teach it or lead it with an authentic kind of approach. So if it worked for me, then I invite people to try it, see if it works for them. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. 
And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I can relate to what you're saying on so many levels in that, A, for one year, I was a middle school art teacher. (laughs) And I was like, oh my goodness, help me please. (laughs) And that was the last year I ever taught in a public school. (laughs) And um, and, uh, I can also relate to the place of, um, okay, I need I'd like need these practices. Like I'm here because I need them. (laughs) This is not just something that I gravitate to because it's naturally appealing to me. I need it. (laughs) It's look cool or it's just, wait, I have this need, a human need. And therefore (laughs) come along from the, for the ride with me, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing is, is relevance, relevance in whatever we're doing. Um, for sure, for sure. Now, I'm curious then about your parents. It sounds like you had some pretty um, open-minded parents, and you sounds um, sounds like they were kind of not ready to give up, you know go with the status quo of just mm-hmm. I don't know go to your room, you're grounded, you lost the car, kind of thing. So, what what was your upbringing like? Yeah, it's, um, I think it was a relatively typical, but very, I would still say very healthy um, upbringing. Um, Growing up in Michigan, my dad worked for Ford Motor Company. um, So he was corporate. And mom being a special ed teacher, um, she was very busy often, but I felt very nurtured, very cared for and very heard. 
Um, and so I don't, I, I don't look back and go, well, you know, I needed my mindfulness back then. I had sports and I had art. I had found those things. Um, and I know a lot of kids growing up, they may have a supportive family, but they don't find their purpose. They don't find their tools um, until later. And that's, and that's fine too. I, I did, I'm truly privileged to have grown up with an opportunity to pursue um, what was probably mindful practices in all the sports and the art that I did. It just wasn't labeled that way. Um, and so they were, they were, they were very supportive. Um, the fun thing is that my dad was corporate and I would say, and he would say type A, he played racquetball at 6am every day, you know, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Um, but when he started noticing at the age of like 55, 56, that his contemporaries were having health issues and that stress was overtaking these highly successful um, executives, he was just like, nope, nope, I'm not going to continue. I need to, I need to step away from this level of busyness and this um, competitive environment. Not that every corporate environment is, but that one was. Um, and he did, he stepped away and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get into this mindfulness thing. And he thought he would take it into corporate, you know, where they needed it. Now Ford has adopted it, but he was, he was brought into the, this wave of education instead. So here's my dad, formerly three piece suit, fancy car. <laughs> now he's going into kindergarten classrooms and he's like, they, they're, they're kind of messy. These, you know, five-year-olds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they are. And they're challenging. But here he would be, you know, because he had taken on mindfulness as a tool for himself and for his health. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of out of necessity. He wanted to go with my mom into some of these more challenging classrooms. Um, and so it was, it was, again, not necessarily what we all used when we were growing up. And it wasn't all, mm. um, as Dan Harris would say, unicorns and rainbows. Um but, you know, we all kind of came to um, having this kind of practice, you know, kind of ourselves. And I, I would love to say that that my 16-year-old practices mindfulness. But I can't say it because he will push back on everything that is, and our program is Wellness Works, so it's anything that's Wellness Worksy doesn't like it. But he oh, say, <laughs> I had a teacher mention mindfulness and we meditated. That was, that was cool. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was a guilt thing. Like, why didn't you teach me? And I'm like, oh, it, mm -mm, it would never go anywhere. But he finds his things that are, you know, photography. That's his mindful practice. Don't tell him I said that was mindful or he'll drop it. He'll stop. He'll stop right away. Yeah. No, I, I, I can so relate on that front too, because the, your, the listeners have heard me say a number of times, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of the people who get to teach their kids mindfulness because my kids are like, oh, mindful mama mentor, forget it. I don't want anything to do with any of that stuff. They have rejected all of my Moody Cow Meditates books. They don't, they don't, they wanted none of it. <laughs> mm -mm. In fact, I will tell you a, a very, very short story. Um, my son was at the doctor and 
the doctor's like, you know, a lot of teenagers are struggling through this pandemic time. And so I have this resource sheet of just things that maybe you'd like to try some apps and some websites and maybe some books. And she handed him, my son, the, this resource list that, that they hand to everyone. And she left the room and he, he looked at it and he threw it and it landed on the floor. I'm like, what are you doing? So she's going to come back. And he said, would you look who's on the list? I was on the list, <laughs> the list entirely. But luckily he explained that to her when, when she came back, she didn't know me. It was her first time with this doctor. And, and she's like, Oh, really? that's your mom. Oh, I'm so sorry. And she got a pen and she scribbled out my name and my books, and my YouTube, you know, channel. She's like, mm, like angrily scribbling. She knew just by, you're going to have to go a different direction. You're just, it's just not going to go in. So it's always been kind of behind the scenes mindfulness in our home. Like, how can you couch it as something else, you know? Um, and that's what we do. We keep looking for other ways to expand what we do in, in our house, rename it, reframe it, you know, retool it so that we can sneak a little bit of attention on one thing with compassion, with purpose. We just have to keep trying something different. So I hear you. I hear you. I can relate entirely to that whole scenario. Um, have you just out of curiosity, have you brought your kids on retreats, like family retreats? Mm -mm, mm -mm. But we've, we've done Spartan races and hiking and, mm -hmm. and all these other avenues um, to retreat, mm. you know, to get into a space um, of comfort uh, where we find, you know, in between Spartan races, okay, now we're just going to chill out. <sighs> so you do, you just, you just find whatever, whatever vehicle um, you can, you can get and you just try to value that exhaust yourself in a Spartan race so much so that you're, yeah, yeah. Nothing mindful afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's easy to, it's easier to relax when all you've, you've gotten all your yayas out because I mean, literally like stress and anxiety, give your body energy. It's literally energy you have to burn. I mean, so sometimes, you know, I, I think about like how yes, mindfulness, but also like going for a run exercise, vigorous exercise is so huge. If you're struggling with like anxiety or something like that, because it's it, or stress, it's just like, it's an, there's energy you have to burn off in your body. I call it getting my yayas out. I need both, but you know, for some people, maybe one or the other will help. When I was working with um, the military, they were trying to figure out when should we do the mindful practices? How are we going to insert this into training, into the 12 weeks of stress inoculation before they go overseas? How do we fit that in? And we figured out that even physiologically, it was best to have them do their PT in the morning, two hours. But at 7.15, they're done with PT. They've hydrated, rehydrated, and now they're ready. Mm. Now the mind is is more able to settle on one thing as opposed to the body being the distraction. Mm -hmm. And so true, some of them fell asleep, but either way, <laughs> they were more potentially open um, and willing 
because the body had already played out the cortisol, the, you know, all of those things that we wake up with that we're, you know, kind of ready to go oh, settle. So that became the time 715 in the morning was when we would get them. And that seemed, seemed to work. It really did. After two hours. Wow. I could see how some of them would fall asleep, but yeah, you're right. Like I was, I just talked to recently, um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Feldman Barrett, who is this incredible scientist and researcher. And she talked about how, yes, when you wake up, you're like, I, I've always struggled with waking up with anxiety, but what I'm after talking to, her, I realized like, Oh, I'm just, my body's just, you know, it's just like engagement. It's just like, it's just energy. Like my body needs to like get, it's the energy of waking up and my mind is labeling it as anxiety or then, you know, spinning it into a story. And then if I fall back asleep and have a dream, then, then it's, then it's an anxiety dream, but it's really interesting to just kind of, when you understand the physiology of human beings, right? Like, oh, that's what that is. Like, maybe I, it's not this like deep, complex, psychological, like, oh my goodness, I have this, what's wrong with me problem, right? We always, we all ask that question, like what's wrong, you know, it's, but maybe it's just, if we understand our physiology a little bit more, we can understand things. It's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you teach kids to regulate their emotions, all different ages, right? Kindergarten through probably the whole game. (laughs) Yeah. Through the military. <laughs> and lots and lots of teachers. I was actually on two Zooms today with 300 teachers. And so I do very similar things with almost everyone. Um, my new, if, if regulation, regu- regulation seems to be a buzzword that in, in many institutions, um, as, as well as the small institution of families, mm-hmm. um, regulation is really a big thing because if we can regulate our emotions, if we can regulate our nervous systems based on what's going on around us, we are going to feel safer, feel more comfortable and be able to heal. Right. And And so I I love now doing opposites. So I just play with opposites because part of regulation is, is, you know, fast is, is bad loud is bad. Big is bad. You know, we, we label them busy is bad. Scattered is, you know, but if we can actually just play with opposites and get comfortable with busy and get comfortable with calm and shift between the two, then, you know, it's not terribly popular in a kindergarten classroom. Let's be loud. And we do loud stuff. We stomp, you know, and then we tap really quiet. And then we move really, really fast. We shake our hands, shake our hands, shake our hands, and we feel what that's like. And then we slow down because the opposite of fast is slow. And Mm -hmm. so we have all these opposites. And I find that I'm doing that with adults as well. Because when you get comfortable with calm and busy, and you get comfortable with loud and quiet, you can actually then start to work with emotions, regulating emotions. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorites is just up and down. Because if you if you reach up, there's energy. So your energy is up 
and you're using your breath to reach and your breath is fuel and you reach, 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 reach. I'm reaching with wind here. Okay. I'm reaching. Reach, reach, reach. And you fill with air. And then knowing that you can bring that down and you breathe out and you fold down and your fingers go toward the floor and your body is rounded and you're breathing out all the way, you know that you can go from up and maybe excited, maybe too excited to bringing it down, that you get to be in control and you can regulate all the way down. And then what's interesting is that kids will say, well, down emotions would be sad, tired, alone. Yeah. And that's, and that's okay. All of those are okay. It's just like when you're folded down, you know that you're going to get up again. Mm. It's going it, to, when you're done with down, and I often will leave a, a class. Okay, just stay there until you're done. What's interesting is how many want to just stay there. Hmm. But everybody within a couple of moments will start. Oh, okay, now I'm done with down and now I'm going to go up again. And you, you do, you start to help them embody these opposites. And I play with opposites and I'm working with, um, there's a, a new thing called a Tony box. Have you heard of that? Hunter? No. What is okay. It? You're going to want to look that up. And I'm not product advertising. I'm not at all, <laughs> but it's <laughs> an audio um, system. It's a little mm -hmm. speaker. It's a smart speaker for kids and it's just audio, but we're actually helping. We're working through scripts and things that help kids go up, go down, be busy, be calm, be loud, be quiet. And that, that comfort with the lack of judgment, it's not always good to be quiet. It's not always good to be calm. It doesn't always fit who we are and what we need in the moment. And so I love this normalizing of and accepting of the regulating, you know? So that's, that's been fun to actually work with those. That might be something you want to, you want to look into. <laughs> They're big. But, in, they're big in Europe, and they're coming to the United States. Well, I have to tell my uh, my sponsor <laughs> people. Tell them to find these people for this episode. No, yeah. um, yeah. I, I love the what you're saying about these opposites because we have such an emphasis. You know what you're what you're inviting is this non judgment, this acceptance, and like becoming more of a a, a master of what's going on in your body, like developing that strength and that ability to self-regulate. But, but also like as parents, I know a lot of us are really interested in like, let's down-regulate these kids. Let's, let's calm them down. And we may be inadvertently like giving the message that there's something wrong with you for your, for being up, right? Like kids with ADHD, I'm certain, certain get that message that there's something wrong with you for, you yeah. know, that's pretty clear. They're getting a message. There's something wrong with you for having all this energy. And, and I think maybe hidden in here is also an invitation to parents to get comfortable with up as well as get comfortable with down, get comfortable with busy as well as, as slow, get comfortable with loud as well as quiet. Although I know there's some people in the mindful parenting membership who wear some uh, little earplugs sort of quietly sometimes while their kids are in the house, but maybe that helps them get comfortable with loud. Absolutely. But is that what you're saying here, Wynn? 
Yeah. Um, and I think that the one of the things, so mindfulness is about attention, I think, this is me defining it, attention and awareness. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that I think is is a challenge for anyone trying to guide, shape, or even adjust behavior um, is that you have to be aware, you have to read the room, mm. right? So if the kids are being loud, let's just use that as an example. And I could talk about a, a classroom of third graders, let's say 31 third graders, and you just walk in and it's like, whoa, loud, or a family and a couple kids playing loud, right? If you don't show them that you feel them, that you see them, that you hear them, mm-hmm. and you try to go in quiet, and you're like, I'm going to whisper until your shouting stops, you're not recognizing that, that you see them. Mm. They are going to want to feel felt and heard. And so the loud group, the ones that are really feeling like, oh, this loudness will never stop. How do I manage this? How do I help them? How do I meet them where they are? Well, you got to meet them where they are. So you come in and not matching, let's see, not matching the language because you walk into a high school class, you don't want to match their language. (laughs) Do you want to match their intensity Mm. or at least their emotional level? So you come in and you go, it's sunny outside. How about that? And you're, you're standing and you're big and and you guys can feel it. It is so sunny and bright. And you start naming things that are going on and they'll start, oh, it is sunny outside, right? But you're matching what they are experiencing. And so it's the same with even movement. If kids are moving fast, then you move fast as you encounter them. You're like, whoa, I can move faster than you. How about that? How about that? How about that? Now, (laughs) move slower. Can you move like you're in water? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Let's go fast again. So you're just noticing that they need something, that they're, you know, loud or fast. You match it for just a moment. Match and raise and match and lower is just kind of the the term. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to match and lower their volume, you got to meet them where they are and then take them where you want them to go. And that's an awareness. You got to read the room, not necessarily join the party, but yeah, oh my gosh, it's, look, it's so loud in here. I used to say that in my classroom and they would all just stop and go, oh yeah, I guess it is loud. <laughs> wow. Okay. The other piece is you get the the down, the kids who are stuck in down, mm. the depression that's, I think, global now, right? Yeah. Um, so they're stuck in down, and, and again, I can walk into a classroom or into my kid's bedroom, down, right? And here's just an example for my 16-year-old. I walk in, and he's just, uh, no, not getting up, not even picking up his head and not speaking. Oh, wow. I go and I lay on his floor, not on his bed. I don't join him necessarily, but I lay on his floor. Hmm. And in about mm, 10, 15 seconds, I see him look over like, what are you doing on my floor? The minute he starts speaking, 
I'll speak at whatever level he is. Oh, I'm just hanging out on the floor. You know, it's really dark in here, and that ceiling has a stain. Did you notice that? And I get my kid to look up and go, you know, that stain's been there forever. Now, the rational brain is coming online because it it wasn't going to respond to me coming in and yelling, you're late. It wasn't going to respond to me standing over top, being the authority. Instead, I just lay on the floor. And now we're having a conversation. I'm like, you're going to shower before you go to school? No, I'm not. All right. Because there's a towel down here on the floor, too. There's a lot of creepy stuff under your bed. I'm going to get up and make my breakfast. Join me when you're ready. I've felt him. I've Mm -hmm. seen him. I've heard him. I don't yell. I mean, there are times when I might yell, you know, but I, in general, if he's quiet, I'm quiet. If he's low, I'm low. But I meet him there and then I get up. And now I'm not hovering over. I simply matched and now I'm raising. And that's Mm -hmm. emotionally, energy wise, nervous system wise. And so I I do that with any classroom, any even group on Zoom. I work with a lot of kids on Zoom. You know, you see the ceiling fans. Their video is on. Yay. They're in their class. But all I see is their ceiling fans. So I have them vote by putting their hand up into where I can see them. I'm like, okay, vanilla or chocolate. And they're all droopy and they're drowsy, but they're going to vote when they're, okay, chocolate. An important choice like that. You have to weigh in. Yes. And you go with hypotheticals, you know, salty or sweet. And you see these little hands go, (laughs) you know, they don't have to put their heads in yet. They're not ready for that. But then eventually I'll just say, I'm tilting my head doing TikTok. Can I see the top of your head doing that? I don't demand it. It has to be choice-based no matter what we do and what we encourage, choice-based. But meet them where they are. Meet them where they are. Set high expectations of this is where we'll get to, but I'll meet you where you are. So it's match and raise and match and lower. That starts with read the room, figure out what's needed, and go from there. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I love this. I mean, the the read the room piece and the the matching piece. It really is. Um, maybe it's you know it's it's really taking this idea of acknowledgement, right? You know, we I talk a lot about acknowledgement and mindful parenting, and and you take this idea of acknowledgement and you take it, you know, beyond verbal, you know, into physical, into tone into all of those different things. And I really like that idea of matching and acknowledging as, you know, and, and, and it really is, that's like such a healing thing to, to whether it's with your body language or your tone or whatever it is to say, I see you and I hear you. I'm not just going to come in and try to change you, but I'm going to, I acknowledge like, this is, this is what's going on with you right now. This is where you are right now. And I can see you. That's really healing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Match them where they are, match and raise, match and, and match and lower. Yep. Yep. That's uh, a mediation approach that I would say a mm. lot of um, social workers would use. I don't think it's really, it's not um, mainstream yet. Mm -hmm. And I would, most educational um, kind of strategy toolboxes yet, but it should be. I'm working on getting it there. We're, we're we're doing it right now. We're getting the word out a little bit a little bit right now. That's great. Absolutely. Um, so so part of the part of teaching kids at at various ages to regulate their emotions is to is is not it's not just this down regulation. It's like it's like letting them sort of see and understand their emotions at, at all of these different levels. So I I love how this sort of like kind of, you know, up and down kind of thing really works. So do you go deeper into that as far as like speaking about emotions, uh, et cetera, with the kids? Yeah. Um, naming, not, not so much, and I don't do therapy, mm -hmm. but um, emotion education, like what might someone feel if Hmm. Or think of a time when you felt, you know, just to, to create relevance, to create education around all the different language of emotions. Um, and, you know, when there's, when there is dysregulation, when there is a moment where there's a tantrum or um, some kind of what we would see maladaptive kind of behavior that, you know, we just, we just name it. We say, wow, okay, I see some pounding fists. Typically, I'll start pounding my fists, but gently. But I see some pounding fists. Might be anger. Huh. The minute that pounding fist kid says, it's not anger. No, it's frustration. <laughs> you know, and they, <laughs> you're like, gotcha. 
we got we got afraid to name emotions because it felt like we were I don't know who said it but somebody said we're feeding that emotion hmm. so if we say wow are those pounding fists angry fists or are they excited fists what are they that we were somehow going to feed that yeah a lot of people were worried about that mm -hmm. absolutely and you'll make it bigger mm -hmm. like, no that's again you have to feel felt feel seen um so naming just naming and letting them correct you i love to be corrected no miss i'm just impatient oh okay <laughs> um but saying i i see stomping feet i see a furrow brow look at that i can do that too i got a furrow brow i can s smooth mine out do you want to smooth yours out the minute they go to do that you you've got the rational mind back online I mean, any of Dan Siegel's work, um, Tina Payne Bryson's work is is so much about just name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you move forward, starting with the, of course, the, the um, emotional brain, the survival brain, move forward to the rational brain. And if the rational brain's on, not online, you got to stop talking. Yes. You got to lead them, lead them in other things, embody what you want but stop the rambling because this is the part that can understand the rambling this you know prefrontal cortex but if that's not online for anybody you, you got to go to the the survival and just match match mm. them mm. um i love i love all this what you're saying you know this is very in, in line with uh the approach that we have etc um were you were these strategies you were able to bring into raising your own children or did they um you know were you were you like oh no i wish i had known this when so and so was free oh. <laughs> well, it's the hindsight i wish i had never <laughs> never introduced um chicken nuggets <laughs> um I, I think it's just you know when you know better you do better Thank you, Maya Angelou. Um, I think we just learn as we go. And I, I will say that the much of the inquisitiveness of our oldest, um, she just she just still wants to dive into all of these kinds of things um, now, even though you mean like mindfulness and emotional understanding stuff? these these kinds of mindfulness approaches she's done mm -hmm. vipassana and she's done retreats and but it wasn't it would have been great during her teenage years and you know now she's interested at 35 she's interested in that but yeah it would have been great and she'll even say wow it would have been great during my teenage years <laughs> if i had this <laughs> if if maybe if i had parents like y'all are now you know uh, <laughs> you just do the best you can with what you've got in the moment with who you're with I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. just it. So mm -hmm. I do, I do have many wishes that I had learned some things and um, integrated some things, but mm, here I am doing my best in this moment. Yeah. I think that's a, a great approach and a great way to, to look at it. Um, now for parents who are say, are like, well, my kid's three now. <laughs> my kids five now I can I can bring some of those things in I don't want my kids to be like pushing away from it the way 
they are from your, you know, you hunter or you win, like what are some ways to introduce some of this emotional regulation work, um, uh, in the family? Do you have any suggestions for that? Um, well, for, for teachers, we teach who we are. So it does start, start with us. For parents, we parent who we are. <laughs> we don't turn it on and turn it off. So I, I do I do believe that. That's a Parker Palmer quote about teachers, but I think it's the same for parents. Um, and so I think the more that we can embody and the more that we can show them that we're practicing, not in the heat of the moment, that we take a moment for ourselves and we go, okay, I know you all are watching you know, Sesame Street right now. I'm going to take this moment for 10 minutes to go and sit in there. If you need me, let, let me know, but I'm just, I'm going to quiet myself so that I can be patient with you for the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, just, just that idea that we do these practices so that we have them for the moments that we absolutely need them. Um, and so I think that's, that's probably, probably one of the biggest things is that, you know, we do have to like take control of our own well being so that they know they need to take control of theirs. And even at, even at three, I mean, books and, you know, there are so many videos out there that support, if it has to come from another voice other than the parent voice, <laughs> um, absolutely. There, there's much, much out there to research and access that could be the vehicle to get to a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, the songs we sing, the routines we have, all of those things are shaping um, their nervous systems. And so I, I just, I think the opportunity, the best time to do mindfulness or introduce mindfulness in a family, now, now is good. Yes, now, wherever you are. In this moment. <laughs> <laughs> never too young, never too old. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we parent who we are. I really love that. And I agree that I completely agree with that. Never too young, never too old, um, thing. I, I taught my mindful parenting course one time in person to a, like a real low income community. And there was a grandmother there because she took care of her six-year-old son at the very end of the whole thing. She came and told me about, you know, things are going, had been going a lot better with the six-year-old. It was great but she healed her relationship with her adult child. And I was like, yes, right? Never too late. Like never too late. Never too late. Why why would why would you ever you know want the opposite of all these things <laughs> in your life? Why would you ever want the you know being pushed and pulled you know in any direction by every emotion, the distraction, the stress, all of those things, right? Like those are the, the opposite. Would you see, you say you've seen those effects in your own life? You've obviously had to practice in your own life to, uh, to embody this work. Oh, absolutely. And I see when I haven't done enough, <laughs> mm -hmm. I see the, I see the outcomes of just not really being able to keep a balance. Mm. It's, balance is so often um, kind of my goal. I just want to be in balance. And it doesn't mean static. It doesn't mean, oh, I've got this. It's perfect. Let's leave it this way. 
you know, most balances, if you look at scales, they're still moving, they're still adjusting. Um, and so I just, I just, I do notice that um, my patience is greater than potentially what it used to be or what it, what I see in the reactivity around the people, in the people around me. Um, I've been to, I, I, I drive into our city and it's like 15 miles or something. It's not horrible traffic unless of course somebody cuts you off and then you're like, wow, that's horrible traffic. Um, and I've had multiple instances on this little highway that I drive um, where it's, I have my family in the car and I'm driving and there's no choice but to go right up against the um, median, like onto the gravel at 55, 60 miles an hour because a semi is coming across and, and you have no option. And what's interesting is that my family will just say, you were ridiculously calm. Mm. I'm like, I, I wasn't calm. I, everything activated in my nervous system. Absolutely. The fear of everything, fear of losing my family, fear of every tiny car, you know, we're going to get squished. Everything activated. There was no calm, but able to manage, able to make choices, still thinking with the rational part of the brain, not in survival, slam on the brakes, get hit from behind kind of thing. But I'm not kidding. It's like the same entrance ramp for four, maybe five times in the last year, two years. Same thing. It's amazing that I still drive that road. But, um, but I think it's an exercise in, you know, patience. And yeah, I do end up just haven't been hit yet. Knock on something here. Um, but just my son will just say, I don't know how you kept so calm. And I'm like, it's because I have a practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I practiced this morning and I just was able to balance all of that adrenaline, all of that cortisol, all of that that I needed to keep my wits about me and stay within you know, six inches of the guardrail at 60 miles an hour. And I'm not necessarily thought of as a good driver, but that's how I am often when things get heated and crazed. Mm. So All right. the, the benefits, and I, I will tell those stories to students. And I think that, you know, you had asked, what do you, what do you do? How do you do this with young kids? And how do you do this? with narrative, with story. Hmm. And so I, I don't disclose more than anybody needs to hear, but some stories just about, you know, little things like my dog did this. Anybody else have a dog? <laughs> so you know how, you know, it, how you can respond or how you can react and how would you like to have responded better so that you didn't yell at your dog or you didn't. And I try to use that instead of too many stories with with yelling at kids um but i i really i think the stories and the personal experience and and asking them to share their stories like when did doing a sun breath or a rainbow breath help you let's let's go there you know or when could it or you know and really just try to draw out the stories um i think that's really helpful. And, and there are those books out there um, that even really little ones can access and go, sounds like me. 
Hmm. You know, whether mm. it's mm-hmm. mindful panda. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Do you know that one? <laughs> no. Mindful monkey. Nope. Something. Okay. Happy panda, mindful monkey. How about that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> stories. I love them. <laughs> love them. <laughs> oh, this has been uh, a real pleasure to connect with you and talk to you. Um, I, I love that you're doing this work, bringing wellness works into, into the schools and sharing this with the next generation. I think that's such um, needed and valuable work. And I appreciate you sharing yourself here today. Um, where can people find out more about what you're doing and any resources and work that you have and all your books? <laughs> well, wellnessworksinschools.com is the website. Um, and I'm very reachable through that. Um, winkinder.com. <laughs> that one goes, goes there as well. Um, and I do. I, I'm working to get the word out and get the tools in the hands of kids, whether it's the Calm book or the I Am I, I, Am, I Can book. Get the, hand, the tools in the hands of teachers and so many parents who are teaching now, um, curriculums, programming, videos, you know, all of that. It's just to make it so that feel, people can feel confident to try, just mm. to try, and then make their own way. So, And we will have links to those, uh, to one of Wynn's websites in the show notes. And where, you know, dear listener, when you're listening, on your device, there's at least on mine, like you'll see there's a the picture of the podcast, but there's usually a link right there that says notes. And when you click on it, all this text comes up and you'll see that link right there for that we just mentioned. So go ahead and do that and, and you'll see all kinds of cool stuff there. Um, Wynn, thank you so much. I really appreciate your voice and presence and your work. It's really been such a pleasure. I, I've really enjoyed it. Well, it's mutual, and, and I really respect your work and, and honor the path you're on as well, for sure. So thank, thank you. I love what Wynn said about like matching your kids' emotions. That was a real takeaway for me to make them feel seen and heard. That's really, really cool, I think, don't you think? I love this. So um, if you have gotten something out of this, I'd love for you to let me know, let our guests know, you know, share it. Let other people know that this was helpful for you. Let your friends know. Because, you know, you sharing it makes the biggest difference. Like you sharing reviews and just kind of like taking that screenshot and texting your friends or putting it on your Facebook page or whatever. Like that makes such a big difference. You have a lot of power that way and a lot of power for good to share all these incredible tools with other people. So that is my ask for you to to share this around. If you've gotten something out of it, it makes a big, big difference. And I really, really, really appreciate it. It really is amazing. This podcast has grown organically to over a million downloads and all around the world. It's because of you. So Thank you. You're a part of making a positive difference in the world, sharing important stuff like this awesome conversation with Wynn. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for staying here to the end and connecting with me. I really appreciate you and your time and your ears. I hope you have a really beautiful, peaceful week, and I cannot wait to connect with you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.
say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.